Welcome to Fresh Growth, a podcast by the Western Sarah Program. We have completed the second season and are preparing for season three. Thank you for listening to season two. In between seasons, we are sharing some special podcasts. These podcasts were created by students in the Washington State University's System Skills for Agriculture and Food Systems class. The students interviewed producers on topics such as regenerative agriculture, permaculture, marketing, economics, technology, and more. We hope you enjoy and learn from their work. Cole Wiegan and uh, Brandon Halling, uh, Dominic Bachneraz, and uh, Aaron Waggert here today with John Paul Driver. He's uh, the curator of the Hay Kings Facebook group, as well as a market analyst for Farm Credit. He's uh, here today to talk to us a little bit about the impact of COVID-19 on the farm economy, uh, as well as the environmental impact and uh, some of the supply chain impact. John, can uh, you just talk a little bit about your background? Yeah, so I went to WSU and my degrees in agribusiness management and economics. After going to WSU, I worked for the Western Center for Risk Management Education for a couple of years. And now I'm an industry analyst with Northwest Farm Credit. Very good. Well, today we're mainly focusing on how much uh, the COVID-19 pandemic has impacted the ag industry uh, specifically from a few key points, mainly economic as well as uh, environmental and then the supply chain element of it, which many of us already know a little bit about. But I think it would be interesting to get your perspective on this interesting time we're in here. Yeah. What uh, what industry do you want to start with? Well, I think a lot of people have uh, already heard about the impact of the potato industry, specifically in the Northwest as well as the dairy industry, which I know you have some background in, so I think that'd be a good place to start. Yes, you want to talk spuds and cows, huh? I mean, it's a, <laughs> uh, it's it's it seems to be um, at least in, in our area one of the the two major ones that have been kind of impacted uh, as I yeah. mean as well as meat packing. But I think a lot of people, you know, more people have been impacted as far as the the potato and the dairy industry at least from what we've been uh, looking at. Sure. So let's start with potatoes. The timing of COVID being realized in the U.S. was really unfortunate, or maybe not unfortunate, but uh, a real challenge for potatoes. March, right when all of this started, is when they're planting potatoes. And we actually saw some instances of large potato companies going out to growers who were planting potatoes, actively planting potatoes, guys on the tractors, and saying, stop planting. And the thought process that made that happen was, we don't know what demand is going to be. We don't have the foggiest clue. And as we think about potato demand, there's a couple of, there's two main channels. The first is restaurants. So if you're thinking about restaurants, you might think about a fine dining restaurant with a uh, baked potato. That kind of aligns with the grocery store five-pound bags. Right. Uh, But most potatoes in the Northwest go for processing. 
and that's going to be made into tater tots and to french fries uh, a, a very large portion of the country's French fries, and, and in fact, the world's French fry production right. comes out of the Northwest. Uh, Washington tends to be a little bit more of a processed market. You get down into Idaho, it's it's kind of split between processing and that fresh market five-pound bag of potatoes. So we went into the season. We're a little shorter on supply than we would have been had COVID hit two weeks later. Or three weeks later, just a little bit more planting time, and it would have changed the equation. So it's very interesting to think about the timing and how it impacts each of these individual industries. You get into dairy, and it's a little less seasonal. With dairy, the challenge was dramatic shifts in the type of products that consumers were buying. Right. And I think a lot of people need to remember with the dairy industry it seems like whereas potatoes can be stored you know milk has a shelf life and a lot of times unless it's turned into something like cheese yeah it's it's not storable and so So let's let's go back to potatoes for just a sec then we can come back to that perishability idea uh if we do truly end up uh short on potatoes because producers didn't plant as many as they had anticipated or had planned to um, that impact lasts a long time because of that storage element. Uh, a potato planted in March of 2020 won't be harvested until August, September in the fall, and then it has a, a one-year storage capacity on the outside, but certainly 10 months. So we're looking at the summer of 2021 before all of the impacts of that planting disruption play out right so we we still haven't seen the end of of the covid impact on potatoes oh nowhere near no nowhere near do you think that as far as the potato industry is concerned they're going to try to do anything to bounce back from that expected shortage uh they're going to try to bring in different you know potatoes from different areas or try to uh, plant something different we got really lucky this year Uh, With some strong yields. Right. Across most of agriculture, yields were higher year over year, especially in the Northwest. Uh, Something about the timing of the rain early in the spring. I mean, we had unheard of dry land wheat yields, uh, very high hay yields. Just across most of the traditional agricultural production, yields were higher, including potatoes. So we actually get a little bit of a boost from that that partially offsets fewer acres. Do you think that, and I know we're kind of jumping around a little bit, but as far as the milk issue is concerned, as far as the demand decrease in milk products, mainly stemming from a lot of school closures, I think is a big one for milk. Are are the dairymen going to be able to see the rebound that, you know, is expected with more school openings or is overall milk consumption just going to be stagnant now that we've kind of gone into this so we we have to break this out a little bit because like you mentioned it does depend on what product we're talking about and then we're also talking about some of those uh different delivery channels right so if we take hotels restaurants and institutions institutions being schools right uh we take that hri grouping and we say demand is going to be less for fluid milk period end of story uh, there is a large portion of fluid milk that goes that is marketed in those half pint 
cardboard containers to school kids. That That is a big portion of fluid demand. That has essentially gone to zero, right? Yeah. In a course of virtually a month or two. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. almost if we, instantaneously. If we go back March to April, I mean, it just evaporated. Yeah. Schools closed. That that demand went away. Yeah. And if you remember back in April, May, we saw news stories about milk being dumped, milk prices at 10-year lows. But then something changed. In those early months, we were talking about stocking up we were talking about hoarding we were talking about sheltering in place then you get to the summer and those purchasing habits changed we got into call it a new normal of covid i'm not saying a a permanent new normal i'm just talking about we are actively trying to avoid spreading the virus but we've learned how to live in those conditions so we went from stocking up on non-perishable goods to maybe thinking a little bit about how to stay healthy at home. We actually pulled back on milk production as a response to those very low prices in the spring, and we saw an increase in some dairy products. So we're going to still say that fluid milk consumption is, is down because of that HRI component. But if you look at cheese and butter, that's actually not doing so bad. And in fact, if we look at milk prices, we have to look at the distinction between class three and class four. Class three is primarily cheese, but also the whey associated with it, whey protein powder, right? That's what you would find at a health food store. Yep. People are looking to be more healthy. Yeah, exactly. Trying to increase their chances of not catching the virus. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And then you got to look at that class four side, that's butter and powder. Powder is primarily an export product. So... As we're thinking about trade, there's been significant trade disruptions. And that's really held down that class four price, whereas the class three is doing better. I think that one thing that um, many people are trying to do with COVID buying habits is they're trying to steer more locally. And that's opened up some new markets to dairy farmers that really weren't interested in serving their local communities, you know, and it's, at least in our area where I'm from, Western Washington, um, you're seeing a lot more, for instance, sales of raw milk and that type of thing too, that people are, they're trying to tap into other industries. Yeah, this goes back to the idea of food as medicine and, and, and again, back to that new normal during COVID about how do you stay healthy. And I think that's a, a trend that everybody is going towards. Maybe the COVID-15 is going to be the new freshman 15, right? Uh, <laughs> it definitely uh, seems to be the, the trend. <laughs> right. And I think people are going to recognize that and say, okay, during the summer, I was able to go outside and go on walks and hikes and bikes, and I could stay away from people and I could stay active. Winter is a little different. So I think that health component becomes more and more important. And I think that local component is something that's going to hang around too. I think that's one of the good things that's going to come out of COVID is people will be more connected to their food. Yep, totally agree in that point. And I've seen it personally in my own hay sales, which you wouldn't really think about, but uh, many people are now 
purchasing a cow or purchasing a a goat or whatever. <laughs> they're they're going to be their own they're going to be their own grocery store. They've got their big garden now, and they, you know. I, and <laughs> yeah, see, we have this in common where we both uh, are hay producers too. Right. I guess we should speak to the audience a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, so, uh, in addition to farm credit, I also uh, have a hobby farm, if you will, and I do and I sell hay. I've never sold more pig hay. Right. Hay isn't something that you would normally think about feeding to pigs, but you can. Yep. Uh, I've never sold more pig hay. I've never sold uh, more hay to people who are brand new into agriculture. And uh, just last night, one of the neighbors calls and he says, John, do you have any, do you have any alfalfa? And I said, well, sure, I have a little bit left. And I mean, out of a, uh, more than 100 tons of alfalfa that I put up, I'm down to the last couple. Uh, it's been active sales, and it's been a lot of smaller, more frequent smaller sales. Mm-hmm. And he says, yeah, I just bought a milk cow. <laughs> I said, because uh, I, I grew up on a dairy too, so I, I understand uh, the twice a day, every day, no matter what, come <laughs> hell or high water. And I said, oh. Okay, and he says, "Yeah, I need I need some nice alfalfa." And I said, "Okay, I, I have some, but I mean, this is this is somebody that has goats that has a large garden, uh, somebody that is fairly active in their food in producing their own food to start with, right. but they've also gone that next step, yep, and a and, big leap, which and, and, big and got leap. married to a dairy cow, <laughs> exactly, and and a lot of people I think." start out they're starting out smaller but it is still a big leap because now they just went out and bought five chickens right you know or they just went out and bought a a watering trough and now they're going to start growing zucchini or something i mean a lot of people (laughs) you know they're they they live in the city and they have no um prior experience but they've just decided now with this opportunity of coronavirus and and everything that's happening and I, um, I actually love that. Yeah. I love when people are more connected to their food. Absolutely. Even if you're not producing a, a large portion of your own food. But if you've done the gardening, if you've pulled the weeds, if you've watered, you've experienced the fruits of your labor, you've done the preservation, and you get to enjoy that good homemade stuff. Absolutely. It's the satisfaction of, of knowing that that the only reason that that thing existed is because of you. Yeah, you know. Yeah, absolutely. It, and that's now that that takes us back to another idea with COVID. People still want entertainment. They need to be happy and fulfilled. And shockingly, growing food is a great way to find that fulfillment. Anybody that's ever done that, as you said, that thing that exists solely because you did it. Mm-hmm. That's a really important part. That's going to take the place of movies of sporting events of a a whole host of things and i don't mean completely displace but become a bigger part of our culture and i think that's a a very healthy thing well i really appreciate you uh sitting down with us john and talking a little bit about some of these issues and i know we could go you know much deeper into i mean of course this uh for the for the purposes of this podcast i think we just like to say thank you yeah it's been a pleasure and These are all very important topics, so thank you for inviting me to talk about them. Absolutely.
Thank you for listening to Fresh Growth. We hope you enjoyed this episode. For more information on Western Sayre grants and our learning resources, visit westernsayre.org.